All right, guys, you're dismissed for, for kids' church. And, um, and everyone else, I want you to turn to, uh, I want you to, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, we're actually going to be in Proverbs chapter 3 this morning, but just a quick Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want to look at that real quick. Everybody getting there? I guess you guys have phones. You just click Deuteronomy or something, and sword drills don't matter anymore. I'm waiting. Everybody at Deuteronomy chapter 6? Okay. All right. Let's read this together. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. And so all the way back after this, this dividing of the, of the Red Sea, Israel being delivered out of the hands of the Egyptians, um, God would write this uh, to his people. He'd say, hear, hear, hear the Lord. And let these commands be on your heart. Let them change the way that you live. And then we, and then we move into Proverbs, and, and Solomon says the same thing. He says, my son, don't forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. In Proverbs 3 and verse 1. And so Solomon is doing exactly what God has told him to do when he's writing this letter to his kids. Um, he's reminding uh, his children, and he's instructing them the same as his father probably instructed him, as his father has on down through the generations. Um, and so he writes and he says, my son. And in chapter 3, he divides it into three. There are three my sons. Um, and so, and that's what we're supposed to do as parents, right? Our job is to, is to train up our kids in the way they'll go. And uh, so, that, so that their children... Tim, you want to throw something up there so that their children would follow? And uh, yeah, I mean, so this is this is my grand this is my grandson. So yeah, Harrison Andrew Friesen, um, born right after Karen's birthday. Karen's birthday was on uh, Friday. Yeah, Friday, and he was born on Saturday. So very excited to be, it seems weird to be a grandpa, but, uh, but it, again, it just, these, this scripture reminds me of just how important this stuff is. If you're looking for a book on parenting, um, Proverbs is your book. This is the place where you can practically train up your children in the way that they, they would go. Proverbs has so much wisdom for, for families and for parents, and so if you are looking for wisdom, you're going, man, I don't know what to do with this kid. You know, Proverbs, that's the place, that's the place to go. And uh, I'm excited to see uh, 
how Harrison's going to turn out that next generation. Probably shouldn't leave him up there the whole time because I might get distracted and everybody else might too. But um, I think to understand our text this morning, we're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 3 and verses 27 through 35. I think we need to go back and, and really understand the whole of Proverbs 3. Um, it's divided into three kind of main ideas. He starts in verse 1, and he says, my, fun, my son, don't forget my teaching and my commands, but, but let them be on your heart. And then he says, how do we put those things in our heart? He says in verse, uh, in verse 5, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Um, in verse 7, he says, fear the Lord. In verse 9, he says, honor the Lord with your wealth. And so how do we, how do we keep God's commands in our heart? We trust the Lord. We fear the Lord. We honor the Lord with our wealth. And really, when you boil all of this down, it really boils down to what we just read in Deuteronomy 6, is we love God with all of our hearts. The way that we keep these commands in our hearts is that we love Him. And the way that we love God is that we, is that we trust Him, that we fear Him, that we honor Him with, with everything that we have. That's, that's what it means to keep these commands in our hearts. And so wisdom will help us do that. And then in verse, in verse um, 11, he says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. And he begins to talk about how we can keep the world's riches, the world's treasures, the world's wealth in perspective. Realize that wisdom is greater than, than the treasures that the, that the Lord, that wisdom is greater than the treasures that the world has. And then in today's text, we see how wisdom will then, our love for God will then affect the way that we live with other people. Jesus summed it up, didn't he? Remember how Jesus summed up the, the two greatest commandments? He said this, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The same as what it said in Deuteronomy. And he said the second commandment is just like it. He says to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. How do we, our, our vertical relationship with God, our pursuit of God's wisdom will be affected and will affect then the horizontal relationships that we have in life. You can't, you can't say that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and that you are wise and then not let that affect the, the, vert, the horizontal relationships that you have in life. It doesn't work. You can't just say, hey, I want half of this. I want to do the loving God part of this, but I don't really want to love my neighbors myself. I, I really like myself a lot. I don't think I could possibly love anybody as much as I love myself. Um, and, and a wise person, a person who, is, who has the wisdom of God, will not only trust in the Lord with all their heart, lean not on their own understanding, make that their, the greatest verse that we quote all the time, but they will also then follow the commands that he gives here in verse 27. Here's what he says in Proverbs 3 and verse 27. He says, do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to act. And do not say to your neighbor, come back later. I'll give it tomorrow when you have it with you now. And do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. Do not accuse a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. And do not envy a violent man or choose any of his ways, 
For the Lord detests a perverse man, but takes the upright into his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks proud mockers, but he gives grace to the humble. The wise inherit honor, but fools he holds up to shame. And so Solomon, to understand these verses, I think they, they really fit together. This, this poetry is, is fit together to where verses 27 and 28 have one idea. Verses 29 and 30 have one idea. Verse 31 maybe can stand on its own and have its own idea. And so I want to just start by looking at verses 27 and 28. And, and I think the big idea here is that don't withhold good from others. We have an obligation. Look what it says there in verse 27. It says, do not withhold good from those who deserve it. Or in the NASB, it says, to those whom it is due. We have an obligation as believers in Jesus Christ, as, wise, as people who are wise, to do good to others. It's not, it's not really an optional thing. And when we have the... And when, and, it's a stewardship that God has given us. He's given us this stewardship to do good to others. Don't withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power uh, to act. And don't say to your neighbor, you know what, come back tomorrow and maybe I'll give it to you. Um, our job is to <laughs> steward the resources that we have. Honor the Lord with your wealth is what it said in verse 9. And this is how we practically live that out in that we share with those who have a need. My kids, um, and, and to do it promptly, my kids, um, uh, I, I fail at this in my house often. Um, so my kids do some work around the house. How many of your kids have an allowance? Get an allowance? Maybe some of your kids get an allowance. Nobody. We're the only ones that give allowances. Okay. It's fine. Uh, so our kids get an allowance. And, um, and oftentimes, they're always having to come to me to say, Hey, can I get my allowance today? And I'm um, like, well, I don't, I don't have it with me today. Let me go get, you know, get some cash, and so then that turns into another week. And then by the end of the month, they're like, wow, you're two, week, you're two months behind now. On, you're withholding good from us. We've done something, and it's due us. You know, we, you have an obligation to give us to us because we've done what's good. Um, we have an obligation not to withhold good uh, from others. And I think what God's saying there is, is be generous. He's saying live in a generous way. Um, think about it in terms of, of uh, maybe you are an employer, giving your employees a fair wage. If you have the good, if you don't withhold that from your employees, or maybe meals or clothes, or maybe it's tools that someone wants to you know, borrow, your neighbor wants to borrow your tools, like, oh, I don't really want to give them my tools, you know. Um, if we have, if we have good and we have things that we can share, God would want us to do that. And it's modeled in the New Testament. This week in Bible study, men's Bible study that meets out at Curtis's shop, we were in Acts chapter 2. And what did the believers do when they were together in Acts chapter 2? What does it say? That they shared they shared their possessions with anyone that had need. And I think what God's saying here is like, if you, if you trust me with all your heart and you love me with all your heart, that's going to affect the way that you live with other people. 
and that you're going to love them the same and you're not going to withhold good from them. Or let's maybe step back a little bit and think about the, with the good that we could withhold from someone. Maybe step all the way back. Do we withhold the gospel? Do we withhold the gospel from people? I would say that no believer in Jesus Christ would, would willfully withhold the gospel from their neighbor, but we might fearfully withhold the gospel from our neighbor. We may withhold the good that we, that we enjoy, that we possess. We possess the words of life. And God would say to us, don't withhold good from your neighbor when you have it. I think that's applying this a little bit broadly. I think he's talking about our possessions. And so in 1 John chapter 3, in verse 17, he says it this way. He says, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. And so we have an, not only an obligation here, but we have an opportunity. Look at verse 28. He says, do not say to your neighbor. So the neighbor's coming and saying, hey, I need some good. Um, come back later. I'll give it tomorrow when you have it with you now. Um, hey, there's an opportunity for us to do good when our neighbor comes and has a need. James says it this way in James chapter 2 and verse 14. He says, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds. Can such faith save him? And then he gives an example. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to, to them, go in peace, keep warm and be well fed, and does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? What good is your faith? What good is your faith? What good is your trust in God? What, what good is it that you say that you love God if it doesn't affect the horizontal relationships to where you love your neighbor. It's no good. Faith without works is dead. And so he says here in verses 27 and 28, don't withhold good from others. Or maybe do good to others when you have the ability to do it. And maybe every time that you have the ability to do it. And then he moves on here in verse 29. And he says, do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. And do not accuse a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. When I read these verses, I see a progression here. I see a progression of the heart to where it begins with, I'm just going to withhold. Like, ah, I, don't, oh, I don't really want to share. You know, I want to be selfish. I want to hold on to this. I don't want to give it to... Don't plot harm against your neighbor. Well, now I'm not just, there's not just an omission here. Now it's like a commission. Not only do I, am I going to withhold from, from you maybe something that would be for your good, but you know what? I want what you have. And I'm going to plot, and I want to take what you have. My heart's selfish. And he's saying here, don't take advantage of the innocent. Don't take advantage of your neighbor. He's moving here, progressing, withholding a need to plotting harm. 
there's a perfect story in, in Scripture that illustrates this beautifully. How many of you remember the story of Naboth's vineyard? How many of you remember that? How many of you remember Naboth's vineyard? Ahab and Jezebel. You guys have heard of Ahab and Jezebel. Yeah, boo. Yeah, perfect couple. Um, you know, when I was reading it this week, I was reminded of Macbeth. It's the story of Macbeth, right? Shakespeare does the same thing in Macbeth. Anyway, here's how the story goes. So Ahab's king, Jezebel's the queen. We can go boo. Uh, yeah, boo. Rough, rough. Man, ugh. just makes me mad when I even think about it and to think that this could happen. So Ahab looks out over all of his property. He's the king. He already has more than what he needs. And he looks next door to his neighbor, and there's Naboth. And he thinks to himself, man, that would be a great vegetable garden, right? Man, I really want Naboth's garden. I've got some neighbors. I have a pretty good garden, so maybe they're looking at my, I don't, anyway. But, so Ahab goes to Naboth and says, hey, give me your land. And Naboth says, no, I'm not going to give you my land. This was an inheritance. This is passed down to me by my family. I'm not going to give it to you. And so Ahab ups the stakes a little bit, and he says, fine, I'll trade you. You give me your land, and I'll give you another piece of land somewhere else. Okay? And Naboth's answer is, no, I'm not going to give up this. This was passed down to me by my family. And so Ahab, he walks away. His head in his hands, and he's, he's a whiner. He's kind of a big baby. Kind of selfish, too. Walks back home, and there's his wife, Jezebel, and, and um, he's sulking, and Jezebel says, oh, honey, what's, what's wrong? Oh, Naboth wouldn't give me his vineyard, you know. And being the good wife, oh, boo, being the, the evil wife that Jezebel is, what happens? She's like, oh, don't worry about that. I'll take care of this. And so what does she do? She goes and speaks to some people in town and says, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring Naboth into town and because he is falsely accused. He's made accusations against the king, and he's made accusations against God. Okay? So I want you thugs over here to bring him into town square and stone him to death. So... Being subject to the, the king and queen, they bring Naboth into town, and they kill him. They stone him to death. And Ahab gets what he wants, and then gets what he deserves, too, as well. It doesn't end well for Ahab, and it certainly doesn't end well for Jezebel, right? Jezebel ends up getting eaten by dogs. And we can go, I don't know what, we should go boo or yay. Let's leave it alone, because then that kind of progresses into this next verse where don't envy a violent man, right? We don't want to be violent people. But there are consequences. And listen to this. He says, do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives truthfully, trustfully near you. These are innocent people. Don't accuse a man for no reason when he's done you no harm. Yes. Let me give you another biblical example of this. One that's going to be very familiar to you, David. Think about David and Bathsheba. 
David looks out. He already has enough wives. He looks out and says, you know what? I think I want Uriah's wife. She looks beautiful. Let me have her. And so what does David do? David arranges a meeting with Bathsheba. And where does that take David? Well, now he ends up killing Uriah. He ends up putting him out on the battlefield in front of anyone else and killing another woman's husband. Do you think that happens today? Do you think that, that there is plotting that happens today against the innocent? A couple weeks we're going to be looking at adultery. Do you think that happens today? Where, where someone covets someone else's spouse and ends up, there's one person that's innocent in the whole thing. And he's saying, don't do that. There's a heart progression here from withholding to now I'm going to plot against you. And remember what, remember what the Ten Commandments say. Keep these commandments on your heart is what he's saying here. And in Exodus 20, verse 17, he says this. The Ten Commandments say, you shall not covet your neighbor's house or his vineyard for that matter. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Do you see where this heart is headed here? We're moving from withholding to plotting against. And it happens all the time in our world. This isn't just Ahab and Jezebel stuff that's happening. It happens today. But if we love God, if we trust the Lord with all of our heart, it will affect the way that we interact with others. We will love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And then it progresses to verse 31. It says, do not envy a violent man or choose any of his ways. From plotting to ending violence. Solomon talked about this earlier, didn't he, in chapter 1. The violent man is quick to shed blood and rob the innocent. Why? Why? It could be exciting, right? Sometimes violence can be exciting. The thrill of the possibility of being caught. There's an excitement that comes with it. And you know what? As a society, we are enamored with violence. Aren't we? Yeah, I mean, last night, man, they're smashing cars out there, you know, with sledgehammers at Scott's party. No, not that. I was, um, I grew up in a little town in, in Nebraska, Henderson, Nebraska, um, little Mennonite community, and if you know much about the Mennonites, you know that we're a very peaceful people. Um, maybe, I don't know if we're all pacifists in Henderson or not, but we're lovers, not fighters, Okay. And, and so we had a town next to us, and ironically, an Irish Catholic town. See where this is going, can't you? York, Nebraska. Irish, Irish Catholics. And so here are these lovely little Henderson boys um, cruising around the streets of York, Nebraska. Um, and you, as you can imagine, 
you know, we're constantly in fear of our lives. We never leave our cars. We always stay in our cars, and when we stop at the stoplight, we make sure that we have one foot on the gas so that if anybody approaches us, we don't get in a fight and get beat up. So, so I won't say his name. So a young man from California moves into Henderson, Nebraska. Well, you can see where this is going, right? Well, California, man, streets of L.A., well, now we got ourselves a one-up, the, the Irish Catholics over there in York, Nebraska. We have our champion. His name's Paul. We have our champion, Paul. And so now, you know, we're, we're cruising around the streets of York, Nebraska. We've we got our windows rolled down, and we're starting to kind of shout out stuff out the window. Like, I mean, we're picking a fight now because we have Goliath. Like, we have our champion. And, and Paul's not afraid of anybody He'll whoop the snot out of, of anyone in York, Nebraska, because we know that California is a much more violent state than Nebraska is, because everybody from Nebraska is good and fun-loving, and, and anybody who is a fighter is a poser anyways, and they're just bullies, and they're just waiting to get their nose punched. Not true of Californians. At any rate, every, every guy in our class in Henderson, Nebraska, would love to be like Paul right? We all wish that we had the bravado of Paul that we could walk into York, Nebraska and just pick a fight and punch the daylights out of someone. You ever feel like that? You ever have that desire, that envy for, for violence? Man, I want to I be like that person because, man, they get what they want. But the truth of the matter is, is that the foolish man is the one who rushes into violence. And Solomon tells his children here, and I would say this to you children, don't envy a man or choose any of his ways. Do not imitate a man who's violent. Proverbs 1, he already said it in 18. He says, but these, these violent people, they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. Listen to this. It takes away the life of its possessors. Don't envy a violent man. Don't imitate. Don't wish that you had more bravado like that. Pull the thread all the way through on that. Think about the kind of relationships that a violent person has. It's one broken relationship after another, after another. Carry that into a marriage relationship. And what do you get? He's saying, don't, don't envy. Don't desire to be a fighter. Don't be sucked into that. No. Do good to your neighbor. Bless your neighbor. Be kind to your neighbor. And notice the instruction back in Proverbs 3 and verse about 3 there. It says, let kindness and goodness follow you so that you can win favor with God and with man. How does a man win favor? Not by going to York, Nebraska and punching the daylights out of someone. No. By loving, by loving his neighbor as much as he loves himself. 
And then he, he goes back to this concept here in verse 32 of two paths. You know, this whole thing of Proverbs, we're going to keep going back to these two paths. There's two ways that we can go. We can go down the path of wisdom, or we can go down the path of folly. We can go down the path of loving our neighbors, or we can go down the path of living in contention with our neighbors. And so he says here in verse 32, he says, For the Lord detests a perverse man, but takes the upright into his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks proud mockers, but he gives grace to the humble. The wise inherit honor, but the fools he holds up to shame. There's two paths here in these verses. And the question is, which, which one are you on? Solomon's going to keep coming back to this. Are you following the path of wisdom, or are you following the path that leads to destruction? And this path that leads to destruction, he describes it here as one who, who goes to astray. It's one who's, who's wicked, one who's perverse, one who's devious, deceiving other people. One version describes them as twisted souls. He describes them as being proud and arrogant. They mock God and they talk arrogantly. They think that they know more than God. They think that they're above the wisdom of God. And such is the path of the foolish, those who follow the path that leads to destruction. But little do they know that that in Proverbs 1.26, he says, I in turn will laugh when disaster strikes you, God says. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. Such is the path of those who follow folly and follow the wicked. Which path are you on? He says there that God opposes the proud. He mocks proud mockers. He opposes the proud. The curse is on the house of the wicked. Think about that. What is the curse of God? What is the Lord's curse that's on the house? Destruction. In the end, being cut off from God. Desolate from having any opportunity to be in fellowship with God. That's the path that leads to destruction. And my prayer is that none of you are on that. If this is describing you, my prayer is that you would change your life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding anymore. Acknowledge Him. Follow His ways. Because the beauty of God is that, is that God gives grace to the humble. And that is the flip side of all of this. God gives grace to those who would humble themselves before him, before his hand. Who says, you know what? I've had enough violence in my life. I've had enough of trying to, you know, poison my neighbor's dog because he pooped on my yard, you know, and I just am tired of my neighbor, and so I'm going to try to plot harm against him. Or I've had enough of, of withholding the goodness that I could be giving to other people. And when we fall on God's grace and his mercy, we get to enjoy 
the flip side, the path that leads to life. Listen to some of these things that God does for those who love him and who love others. Look at verse 32, but he, he takes the upright into his confidence. I like how the, the NASB says this. He is intimate with the righteous. He's intimate. This idea of intimacy, it's the idea of sitting down on a couch with God. The term literally means to sit together, to enjoy his covenant love, to enjoy his fatherly affection. The righteous, the one who follows the path of wisdom, enjoys God, enjoys this intimacy, enjoys the blessing. Look at that in verse 33. But he blesses the home of the righteous. They enjoy the blessing of God. They enjoy the grace and the mercy of God. He takes them in, and they enjoy an inheritance. The wise inherit honor, but a fool, shame. They enjoy this. We have this inheritance that we get to enjoy. Why would you want to waste your time living like the world when you can have the riches of God that come from wisdom? that come from the fear of the Lord. Why would you want anything less than that? But so often we sell for so much less. Why? And Solomon is pleading with his children. He's saying, my son, listen to my commands. Listen to my words. Let the Lord's discipline change you. And so the question for us is, how's, how are our hearts? You see, loving our neighbor, loving those around us, thinking of other people more than we think of ourselves is about the heart. And I think it's easy for us to, to look at these three things, these three ideas, and kind of put ourselves on, con on a continuum and say, well, you know, maybe I do withhold a little um, from, from my neighbor, but I, I'm not willy, willfully plotting against them. You know, I'm least, I'm not doing that. I'm not like Ahab and Jezebel. Boo. Um, at least I'm not that way. And I'm certainly not like Paul, you know, the Californian, you know, beating people up and that kind of stuff. I'm, I have now, I've never hit a man. I've never slapped a man. I've never done any of that. But there's a slippery slope that happens, and that's why there's a progression here, a heart issue. God wants us to live way at the end of the spectrum. God wants us to love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. If you're on the wrong path, how do you get how do you get off that? How do you find the off-ramp and get on the right path? And I think to answer this question, we have to go back to the beginning of his teaching in Proverbs chapter 3. It begins with trust. It begins by trusting the Lord. We have to transfer our trust. We have to transfer our trust from ourselves to God. The NIV application com commentary says this, trust is the antidote to autonomy, to worry, and to a preoccupation with holding and taking. 
And to trust, trust begins with humility. Trust always begins with humility. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And so humility will require an attitude change. If we're going to transfer our trust, we need a heart change. Our thoughts, our desires, our emotions, they're submitted to God. And I think once our, our eyes are fixed on Jesus and we're focused on him and he's the one calling the shots in our lives, I think it begins then to affect the relationships that we have. And so I would say the first, the first way to get off this, this path to destruction is transfer your trust. And if you've never done that before, you need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you the good news. Jesus Christ died for you on the cross. He paid the price for your sins so that you wouldn't have to experience and taste destruction in hell. That's what Jesus Christ did for you at the cross. He truly is the ultimate example of what it means to love your neighbor more than you love yourself. Because he loved you more than he loved his own life and that he would put his life on the cross for you so that you could be saved. And the way that we transfer our trust is by faith. We say, Jesus, I'm done. I'm done. I'm a sinner. I need you. And I need you to save me right now. And when we transfer our trust from ourselves to Christ, Jesus saves us. We're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. And we get to enjoy the inheritance that those who pursue wisdom enjoy. Every one of you in this room can enjoy that and can enjoy the good favor with God. But it begins with humility. We transfer our trust. How do we get off this path? Number two, we treat individuals as sacred. We treat people as sacred. People are more than just a means to your end. They're more than that. Jesus said, he said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And we hear that all the time. Let me say it in a little bit different way. Maybe another way to think about that and to treat in individuals as sacred is, maybe if Jesus said it this way, think about others as much as you think about yourself. Does that maybe help it a little bit? Because I think we, we think about, I know in my own heart, I think about myself a lot. I spend time thinking about myself much more than I spend time thinking about you. Shame on me. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself at least. Think about your neighbor as much as you, least, as you think about yourself. What are their needs? What are their desires? Do I even know my neighbors? Do I even know what their desires are? Do I even know the person sitting next to me this morning at Crossroads Community Church? Treat others the way that you would want to be treated. Third thing is this. Live generously. You want to keep from being the guy that withholds from your neighbor? Hold loosely to the things of this world. Give. Give of your money. Yeah, I'm not ashamed to say it. Give to the church. 
Give to others as they have need. The world's message is consume. Save it all for yourself. Spend it all on yourself. Jesus' economy is totally flipped. No. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Live generously. Give. Be generous with what you have. Share your stuff. That's how we change our hearts. That's how we don't fall into the slippery slope in this text. And the last thing that I would say is this. Run with the righteous. Came to me this morning, I was like, how do I say this? You know, I'm going to say it this way. Run with the righteous. Solomon has been very careful to tell his children, be careful who your friends are. In fact, in, in chapter 1, remember this. He says, my son, if sinners entice you, don't consent. He says, do not walk with them. Keep your feet from their paths. Walk in the way of good men. This is the message that he's been writing to his children already. And I would say that to all of us. Run with the righteous. Now, does that mean that we don't engage non-Christians? Does that mean that we maybe don't have some friends who are non-Christians? Absolutely not. But be wise. If they're influencing you more than you're influencing them, it may require a change of friends. It may be time to be done with that friendship. They're pulling, the st- they're pulling you down. And how do we stay on the right path? <laughs> you keep doing the things that we've talked about this morning. And one of the things that I love about this church is the way that people uphold What's the seventh value of this church? Do you know it? Look in your bulletins. Yes. The seventh value of this church, one of the pillars of Crossroads, is to be responsible to my neighbor. Not for my neighbor. Be responsible to my neighbor. These verses are telling us what that means. And one of the things I love about this church is that there is a sense of family and there's a sense of community and there's a sense where Many of you are engaged in this kind of stuff, being responsible to one another, seeing needs and meeting needs, being involved in each other's lives and really loving one another. I see that in this church. It's one of the things that I love about this church. And I imagine if you're here this morning and you call Crossroads your church, it's probably one of the things that you love about this church. And so I want to say to you, well done, well done. And I want to spur you on. Hey, let's love the Lord with all of our hearts. Let's trust in him and lean on his understanding and not our own. And let's love one another deeply from the heart and love the the people that you're here with and let that love spill out into the community and as we love the community that we live in as well. That's my prayer for you this morning. And God bless you as we do that. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that every time that we read it, God, there's something for us in here. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to change our hearts, God. 
Lord, that you, God, would cause us to see other people, God, the way that you see them. You would give us spiritual eyes, God, to see the needs that they have, the desires that they have. Lord, that we wouldn't withhold any good, God, when we see it. God, that we would be people that would be moved, God, by the love that you have for us and the relationship, God, that we have with you and the relationship that we have that comes from wisdom and fearing the Lord and how that all works together, God, that it would move us, God, in a, in a direction, Lord, where we would, <laughs> the world would know your love, God, because of the way that we, we show it, the way that we demonstrate it, God, to each person, God, that we come into contact with. And so, Lord, expose our hearts now as we pray, as we sing. Um, God, keep us from from selfish hearts, and God, give us generous hearts, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.